laser. How come you don't have a laser? Ron and Anian. It seems that parts houses are becoming places where if you can't do anything else, now you go and try and sell auto parts. You had cuffs and swine. The car doctor. Can you imagine if you had a 20,000 mile oil drain interval? And you, you just tried to drive this vehicle to the point where you ran the power steering system completely dry? That's Mr. Potato Head to you. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. What are you looking at, you hockey puck? Hey, it's time to start your engines, each and every one of you. And if they don't start, you definitely want to stick around for the next two hours. It's me, Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. We're taking no prisoners again this weekend as we continue to motor on and do this radio show out across this great country of ours vis-a-vis the airwaves and the Internet and however what form you're taking this radio show, 855-560-9900. No opening monologue this hour. Maybe we'll do one later on. I've got some comments I want to make, but we're going to take one right out of the gate. And let's get going because the phones are backed up and we left a couple hanging last week, and I hate to do that. So let's start off with Maury in Maine with some comments about oil change intervals and oil analysis. Maury, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Thank you, Ron, for taking my call. You're welcome. I'm headed out on a long trip with my 2015 Civic. Safe travel. I'm concerned about uh, changing the oils. I've got 44,000 miles on it. Okay. And I'm concerned about changing the oil en route. I have a trusted mechanic here, and I won't be able to change it myself. There's a new oil out by Mobile One. It's called Annual Performance. It's a 020 weight. And I've had an oil analysis done. The laboratory, Blackstone Labs, tested a virgin sample. They'd never seen the oil before. And they want me to send them samples periodically along the way. Would oil analysis testing be good to find out my personal interval between changes based on my driving habits? Would the oil analysis be worth it? You know, I, I suppose, Maury, here's, here's my hesitancy on these longer-range oil changes. And let me, let me qualify this answer, okay? I think if you're using a long-range oil filter and long-range oil, I don't know if this 20,000-mile oil is really up to the task yet because it's new. It's just new to the marketplace. I'm imagining if the engineers say it is, it is, because obviously the lawsuits would be from here to eternity. But my concern with the oil change interval up to 20,000 miles is this. We had a customer with a 2017 Camry take it into Toyota this week at 5,000 miles because he's got a transmission issue, and they're working on the transmission. And they said, by the way, you're due for a 5,000-mile service. And he said, okay, is, is, is that an oil change? And they said, no, the oil change. Now, they said to him the oil change was 20,000 miles. But he said, maybe they were confused, he said, because I didn't think I had 20,000-mile oil in the car, and I don't think he does either in a new Toyota. And he said, but they did the 5,000-mile service, which was a tire rotation, check the underhood fluids, check the air in the tires, all at no charge. It's complimentary. Here's my concern. If everybody's running 20,000-mile oil, and just just to eliminate this concept, will it work? Yeah, I think the 20,000-mile oil, uh, it will work. I don't know where we're going to get an oil filter from, which is my second question or comment or concern. You know, my understanding is that most of the dealer level, you know, we'll talk Honda specific filters are 
seven, 8,000 mile oil filters, uh, you know, after which there's no guarantee whether or not they're in bypass or not. And that seems to be what everybody's saying and talking about. I know of no manufacturer that's coming out with a statement that says, and again, and I'll, I'll, I'll be proven wrong, which is fine, but let's get it out in the open. I know of no manufacturer statement that says our filter is rated for X number of miles and it goes the distance for their oil change. They don't seem to talk about that. They only talk about the car will go 10,000 miles or 15 or 20,000 miles on an oil change. So as far as using oil analysis to determine where your oil change interval is, yeah, uh, you know, and, and for conversation's sake, let's say, let's say they decide that 20,000 is too long, Maury. And they tell you, hey, Mr. Morey, we're going to, you know, we're going to recommend you change your oil at 15,000 miles. Are you okay. going to, are you comfortable with that? Yes. The oil filter I'm using is a Mobile One filter, extended performance, and it's guaranteed 20,000 miles. Okay. Well, then there's and, somebody that does it, but I, I see no manufacturers doing that. Okay. I'm concerned about if I have to add oil en route. Well. I don't want to mix oils. That's right. part of the issue. That's part of the issue, too. But my bigger question is, are you going to go 20,000 miles without getting under the hood of that car every couple of thousand miles checking fluid levels? That's a good point also right there. And then Some and of then, the other things the oil does concerns me. I don't understand how the valve system works, the variable valve timing. If I believe that's powered by oil from a hydraulic fluid Sure standpoint. is. Absolutely. So it would be most likely keep it clean, keep the oil clean. Well, you would hope. Uh, you, you know, if I and I'm going to end up on BobIsTheOilGuy.com again. I know I am. You know what? If if I was an oil manufacturer, trying to make oil go longer isn't one of the things I'd be worried about. I'd try to make oil survive for all the things that it does in an engine. Lubrication is last on the list. Variable valve timing, valve control, all the different solenoids, all the different things that they get oil to do. You know, that's that's the bigger challenge. But you know, back to my point. So you're going to use 20,000-mile oil. Let's say Blackstone comes back and says, hey, the oil will go 20,000 miles. Let's say it'll go 22,000 miles. You're going to change it to 20. The filter's good till 20,000 miles, okay? You're one, out okay. Of, you're one out of how many drivers in this country, and you're, you're kind of a car guy. You get it. You're, you're, you're nosing around under the hood trying to see what's going on and take care of it. What about Mr. and Mrs. Public that, you know, thinks they can dump 20,000-mile oil in it and they get a 20,000-mile filter, and they start their oil change in January, and they put air in their tires, and they do their fluids, and off they go. Spring comes. Temperature changes. Weather changes. TPMS light's going to come on. It's going to vary. And then they go through the summer, and you know they've got to get their tire pressure checked again, and they go in the fall, and they've got to get their tire pressure checked again. Just on TPMS, tire pressure monitoring system issues. Who's going to pay for all that? How is the independent repair shop going to get paid? Is, is a dealer, and, and maybe some of them do, and I'm reading reports that some of them do do that. You know, are, are we going to start giving away free service? Is, is, is that what this is going to come back to? Because somebody still has to check tire pressure. Somebody still has to check fluid levels. And an oil change is still going to be the place where most mechanics, guys with something between their ears, not the hackers, are going to catch the problem, the wheel before it, 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 the tire before it goes bad, the oil leak before it becomes major, the belt before it fails on an older vehicle. Where, where or how are we going to do that in the name of just trying to get our oil changes to go longer and who's going to pay for it? 
when I get back from my long trip, I intend to go back to the regular changes. This is more like a one-time thing. If I could get 10,000 miles out of it, I'd be comfortable doing that. Okay. And then just maybe doing the testing on it. You, you'll you'll probably, oil, Maury, you'll probably get 20,000 miles out of it. If Mobile One says it, you'll probably get it. My wife's driving is entirely different. She drives one mile, turns the car off, drives home one mile, turns the car off. I think that's worst case for oil. And my my driving here is going to be long-distance highway. Right, right. Could, with oil, proper oil, my last question, with proper oil changes and lubrication, how many miles do you think I could get out of the, that Honda? Can I go 250? Sure. They're, they're going 250 now. They're going 250, 300,000 now with care and maintenance. But again, that's the cars that, you know, oil change interval aside, are getting regular scheduled maintenance, real regular scheduled maintenance. And and when I say real regular scheduled maintenance, not dealer fantasy, not you know not what the guy needs to sell in order to make his lawn chair payments, um, you know that's that's realistic. That's real world stuff. Well, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Maury. Um, I will get back to you at the end of this trip, and when I get the oil sampling uh, done, I'll I'll do it at ten thousand miles, just because the uh, laboratory said they'd like to see it. I guess I'm kind of a guinea pig here. That first one out, and they'll. They want to compare the oil used, so I'll probably do a sample on that. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome, Maury. Thank you, and safe travels. I I think we're all missing the point, though, and I just want to comment on this before we pull over for the pause. Can oil go 20,000 miles? If they say it can, I'm sure it can. Can the filter go 20,000 miles? If they say it can, I'm sure it can. Would I use it? No, absolutely not. I don't see the point in it. I don't see the value in it. And I don't think we're ready for it as a society. Who's going to check tire pressure? Who's going to look under the hood? Who's going to verify the actual operating condition of that vehicle? I don't understand the fascination with trying to drag out an oil drain interval when, in fact, an oil change, when done properly by a real mechanic, does more good for the car than harm. Don't understand it. I wish everybody well and good luck with it. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming right back after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. One last thought on the 20,000-mile oil change. And we'll never have this question again. I know we won't. We're putting way too much emphasis on this stuff, folks. All right? You know, chances are if the manufacturers say the oil or filter is good to XYZ, go ahead. You notice no car companies, though, and somebody proved me wrong, please. No car companies have said their oil filter will go 20,000 miles or 10,000 miles or 15,000 miles. Maybe coming soon to a dealership near you, I'm not sure. But I haven't seen it yet. And at what additional cost? And I still come back to, you know, this is like they never put up the traffic light until somebody has an accident at the intersection. I still look at it and still say that we're, we're going to go for 30,000-mile oil changes and maybe 50,000-mile oil changes until cars start breaking to the point that people aren't doing the maintenance on them, and then what? How expensive and complicated do you want to make the car? It's already way too complicated. Just my opinion. I'm allowed to have that, I think. I'm still an American citizen. Let's go over and talk to Barry Potsdam, PA. Barry, how are you, sir? Welcome to the car, doctor. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Good. What's going on? Hey, listen, I called to get a quick diagnosis as to what could be wrong with my car. Okay. All right, now listen, I have a 98 Ford Expedition, and lately uh, it's been hitting a lot of 
you know, rough roads or little potholes, railroad tracks, and I've been feeling a shimmy all week. It started like that. I can feel it on the way home. And then it would smooth out. Then it would kind of shimmy again. And I'm wondering what the heck is going on here. When, 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 you, say, when you say shimmy, Barry, you know, do you feel it in the steering wheel? Do you feel it in the seat of your pants? Is it, is it speed uh, dependent? It's the wheels, more like the tires. So you're, you're, you're feeling it more in the seat of your pants? Uh, yeah. What, what, any particular speed? Um, actually, when, when, when you begin to accelerate, you kind of feel it. And then as you uh, progress and go a little faster, it kind of, you know, smooths out. But uh, when you're going slow, you can kind of feel it. So then it'll smooth out, but I'm like, what the heck is going on? So you're really kind of talking about you're talking about um, a, a misfire or a bucking or a shimmy sensation under load, low speed. You're pulling away from a stop sign and maybe from ten to forty miles an hour, you just feel it kind of jerk every now and then. Is that what you're describing? Uh, no, I feel a shimmy like the car's like shaking. The car itself oh, is the, the car itself is starting to waddle. Would that be uh, a, yes. like 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 you feel yeah. like the like it's 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 a it's a drivetrain shimmy? Okay, is, is, I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to get a sense of what this is. Is, is that an well, accurate uh, description? Well, um, like I said, it is. Is I can feel it uh, when I'm going, and then it'll smooth out. But you can kind of feel a shimmying. Well, that's why I call you to kind of get a quick diagnosis to kind of pinpoint what it could. Well, yeah. First, I'm just trying to get a symptom um, because what what you're describing to me is kind of vague, and it could be a lot of things. This could be an engine performance issue. This could be a drivetrain issue. This could be tires. This could be transmission. This could be woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that being said, uh, a, a, a sensation when the vehicle is starting to shimmy or shake under a light to moderate load pulling away from a stop sign. Is that a fair description? Yes. Okay. Well, I first thing I would do, even though it's not going to turn up anything, but I'd cross it off the list, is I'd scan it for codes. I would just go through trans and engine controller and just make sure there's no faults occurring there. All right? And then and then when it's when it's happening... I'd want to start to look at fuel trim. I'd want to start to look for potential misfires. Okay, do I have an engine condition that's creating this? Do I have a trans condition that's creating this? Because then you're going to tell me it's intermittent, right? It's not all the time? Yeah, right. Right. And, you know, I can't see tires being out of balance causing this. It's not moving fast enough. All right? Tires don't really come into effect at low speed like that on an inconsistent basis. On a consistent basis, different conversation. Okay. So it sounds like it's something serious then. Well, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's nothing serious. Eventually, it's going to get more serious. You know, it was yeah, ser- yeah. It, it was serious enough for you to notice it, right? So there's uh, yes, and know. actually, I, I I'm going to take it to my guy, but I just wanted to kind of get a quick diagnosis as to what if. Uh, you know, you named a number of things that could be wrong with it, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, you know what I would probably do is the next time it happens, while you're accelerating with your right foot, tap the brake pedal. Does that change anything? And I'm curious to see if the torque converter's coming on early in the trans. I'm curious to see 
if it's got something to do with the way the trans shifts, if you manually shift the trans from first to second to third and so on, does does the problem occur? Or do you change how it affects or how it happens? And then, and then my last thought would be, if you were rolling along at 20 miles an hour, does it start to do it by itself, 20, 25 miles an hour? Does it start to do it by itself? Uh, well, apparently that's what has been happening. And uh, like I said, now all the time, on, on when we pulled off out of work, uh, we got close to the house. I could feel, well, no, I could feel a little shimmy on the way home, felt more close to going to home. Um, there's, there's an irregular irregularity going on there you know like i said i want to take it to my garage first thing monday i'll just trying to get a ballpark figure what's going on but you you don't you don't live on a dirt road or work on a dirt road or anything do you barry no i don't okay i was just thinking about mud and the tires and stuff i've seen mud do some funny things um creating a tire an imbalance but it doesn't sound like that to me it sounds like more this is a drivetrain issue and and I would I would have it looked at just out of curiosity. Any dashboard warning lights on? No check engine light. No service. Anything? No, light? no check engine lights okay. or anything. No. Okay. Okay. Then uh, yeah, well, I did have my differential changed last year though. Well, yeah, but let's you know let's let's do a little diagnosis. Let's do a little looking around. This one's a little tough just because of the description on air, but let's um. Let's get your mechanic to look at it. Let him scan things. Let's look at fuel trim. Try and split it up and decide, is it engine, is it trans, which is it? And then if you need more information, give me a call back when you can pinpoint it a little tighter than that. Barry, I appreciated the call. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. That is the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. I should point that out, and I like to, just to let you know that you can call 855-560-9900. Anytime, day or night, leave a message. We're on the air Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. on the network. Eastern time, that is. 855-560-9900. Leads you into the studio. Leads you right here into the booth with me, and we can talk about your car problem on air. If you call the 855-560-9900 number, during non-show hours, we'll say, there's a message service there. Leave a message, and Tom Ray, our producer, will give you a call back and uh, hook you up and get you in queue and, um, you know, talk to you about what's going on and then get you in here to talk to me. So without any further ado, also, let's uh, let's kick the garage doors back open. Let's go over to Matt, Columbus, Ohio, 94 Buick Roadmaster. Hey, Matt, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, hey, Ron, thanks for having me, man. Love the show. You're welcome. Um, okay, I have a 94, 1994 Buick Roadmaster. And the problem is, and it, it only seems to happen about maybe five minutes into driving, so it's slightly warmed up. Uh, between the speeds of about 40 miles an hour and 70 miles an hour, when I give it slight throttle, but just barely, it seems to, like, kick and, and kind of buck. Is the best way I can understand. I can explain it. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, not, a, it's um, not a smooth acceleration. No, not at all. But it seems uh, below that, like first, second gear seem to go just fine. So you're saying um, you're saying once you're into third and fourth gear, because this is an LT1, this is a 5.7P motor. Yes. Okay. Um, general condition of the ignition system, you think? 
Uh, I have had the car two years, and it, allegedly that the plugs and wires were changed about four years ago. Okay, so they're they're due twice. Um, let me let me tell you the story about owning a five seven LT one P motor. Had one. Um, I loved every minute of it. I was more thrilled when I got rid of it. The um, the, the spark plug wire and spark plug replacement is like a labor of love. Have have you gotten under the hood to see where the wires and the plugs are? It seems like a whole lot of work to get to the passenger side. Oh, plugs. dude, it's it's a bloodletting. Have you have you seen where the distributor is on this car? Yeah, you have to take the water pump off, and right? That kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, this is a genius idea. This is General Motors yeah. at their finest. GM, giant mistakes. So, you know. Having owned one of these cars, I got the scars on my hands that I, I, I can tell you what it was like working on this thing. That bef- before I attempted any diagnosis, I always made sure of basic general ignition. Ignition is the downfall on this car. And my experience that I can tell you anything but a you got to use a good quality wire. Here's a case where I could make an argument for AC Delco. Well, back then, I'm not so sure about AC Delco today, but... AC Delco back then it was it was Delco plugs and wires all the way, and then, all right, take a look at the water pump. Does the water pump look like it's leaking? And be absolutely does. Yeah. Well, okay. Conversation's over because here's what's happening: the water pump's dripping on the distributor cap. The distributor cap can only take coolant dripping on it for so long. It gets porosity, and it's actually leaking on the inside. Ever have an older car with a wet distributor cap? Yes, I'm driving a mail truck right now, and every right. time it rains. Right. How that? How's that? How's that run for you? Kind of runs like your '94 Buick Roadmaster, right? Not even as that as good. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's it's my wife had this car. All right. I love my wife and kids. All right. Um, I love buying the car. It was great. We I, I knew what it was the minute I saw it. My wife was kind of turned off by it because it was a wood grain Chevy station wagon. She said, I don't think I can drive that. I said, oh, yes, you can. We took that thing out for a ride. I hit second gear before we got to the first traffic light on the highway. I said, we're taking this. This was the fastest station wagon on the block, I think. But yeah. when it came to maintenance, all kidding around the side, Matt, once every 18 months to two years, Susie put fifteen to 20,000 miles a year on that car. All right? So around twenty five, thirty thousand miles, I was always doing plugs and wires. It got to the point where it was easier for me at the at the second go around, I'd hang a water pump. Because the water pumps were always failing also. So it became plugs, cap, rotor, wires, water pump, coolant service, thermostat, upper and lower radiator hoses. Car drove to two hundred thousand miles. I had to do it four times, five times. Um but and I learned the lesson the hard way because after I went through the first time where the water pump started to leak at 38,000 miles and the cap got wet, I went, well, we're not going through this again. Um, because there's there's no way you can diagnose that car. There's nothing to, to hook up to that car is is an event. Um, yeah, I can scope the distributor and I can, you know, maybe get a scope lead on the ignition wires to try and look at something. But... Trust me, dude. Just, you know, find a day when it's real cold out, when you haven't run the car, get it up in the air, pull the tires. I think I did most of my passenger side stuff through the uh, wheelhouse. Yes. I think I pulled the wheel well out, and that made it a whole lot easier. But, you know, just be just be prepared. Good quality stuff. Wait to see the price of the distributor cap. Have you priced out the distributor cap yet? 
for a good one with uh, with a I think a Mitsubishi uh, it, the the optical eye. I, it was about almost four hundred dollars. Well, no, no, no. The distributor, not the dis- not no not not the distributor. The distributor cap. Oh, the cap. No, I haven't. The cap. I think the cap was like a buck and a quarter, a buck and a half, hundred fifty bucks. It was it was stupid money. Um, yeah. Real neat system. Very expensive to work on. All right. Yeah. The, the the optical eye distributor was. Have you ever have you ever seen the inside of that distributor? Uh, only on a YouTube video. Okay. Not mine. The 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 the, the plate. The optical eye plate has 360 slots in it, about the size of the eye of a needle. Tell tell me what that thing is subject to with you know with dirt and and, and contaminant floating around inside. About how how accurate that has to be. So, got to go through got to go through basic ignition. I can tell you the primitive way I would I would diagnose that car, Matt, is go down to the hardware store, buy an atomizer bottle, you know, a little fush fush bottle, yeah. f- fill it up with water. And give the ignition wires a good soaking. Start the car up, if you can. All right? See how it runs. If it runs worse, if there's any change in the way that car runs, plugs cap rotor wires to start. Especially if the water pump's leaking, put a water pump on it, too. Yeah. All right? Uh, like, I see crusty. Yeah. Uh, like crusty yeah, you're done. Outside of yeah, you're done. Yeah. And, and, and if you're going to buy the water pump, buy the Delco. It's twice the money. But if Delco's still doing it the same way, now it's 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 ten years since I've owned that car. I can still remember it. My body's going through withdrawals and tremors thinking about it now. But if 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 they still make it the same way, you buy the upgrade or the better version of the Delco pump. It's going to come with a thermostat and a housing built right into it, which I thought was kind of kind of neat. You know, thermostat water pump. You yeah. get to do it all in one shot. So that was the deal. Yeah, real deep. real deal fixing cars. That's the way it was back in back in the nineties and the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's I'll get started on that then. I was right. thinking about that. Yeah, but um, that's where I would go. All right, kiddo, and watch out for that number right, seven cylinder. You. Make sure it's not burning any oil. Take a careful look at that plug when you pull it out. Number seven. Yeah, okay. five and seven were the worst. All right, All right kiddo. Can't wait. Yeah, have right, fun. When, when I hear the screams, I'll know it's you, Matt, in Columbus, Ohio. Well, you know, it's just the way it is. <laughs> it's it's just it was a horror show. I would tell Susie, you know, I'd call her up Tuesday night, you know, 5.30. I'm staying late at the shop tonight. She goes, what are you doing? I go, plugs, cap, rotor, wires, water pump on the wagon. She goes, okay, see you about 1 a.m. You know, and it would be like, oh, God. You know, I can't I, wait. Yeah, you'll have fun. All right, Matt, let me get going. The clock's going to take me, but I enjoyed the conversation. Good luck and keep me posted. And um, there may be more besides that, but we'll let you start there. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Amy, the car doctor. By the way, get out on Facebook. Check us out, Ron and Amy, and the car doctor. And um, got to get some videos up there. It's been uh, – I was actually going to shoot a video this week. I've been working on a um, – what is it? Oh, a 2010 Honda Odyssey. All right? Again, all you people, all you Honda lovers, I don't get it. So um, Jerry bought his wife this Honda Odyssey, and um, it had a water leak. And going through and diagnosing it, it looks like – and we're not done with it yet. I'm pretty uh, – about 99%. I'm comfortable enough to talk about it here on air to tell you that it's it's getting close. And I know when Jerry hears the podcast, he's a podcaster. I know he's going to jump up and down and get excited because we've only had it for four weeks. And uh, well, 
it's hard to fix a water leak when it's it's cold out because when the water freezes, uh, you know, eh, that don't work. And you can't do it in the shop because hitting it with a hose doesn't duplicate the problem. But I, I say this story to you to tell you I was thinking about doing a video on this and then I lost track of time, but it's just a, a good repair. Evidently, you ever look at the top of a Honda Odyssey minivan, the part where the roof rack is? Well, I never realized it before, but that's actually two pieces. The center strip where the sunroof and the roof rack is, and then they attach the upper body panels by vis-a-vis a spot weld right down the trough where the trim sits. So evidently the Odysseys have an issue where the spot welds, and I think the spot welds are either poor quality or there's something else that happens as a result. They react and they start to rust and they create an air gap and they start to leak. So you have to take the roof rack apart. You have to take the caulking up. Not to mention the caulking also goes bad, too. The caulking, in Jerry's case, um, also had little tiny cracks in it. It was getting porosity, and it drips inside the car, and it finds itself into all these different places. The The actual problem with Jerry's car was the B pillar, the passenger side seat belt assembly, was getting like a couple of drops of water, and unfortunately, Jerry's wife, you know, she has a reaction to mildew, so we had to, you know, clean it up. Um, and we're, we're going through all this. And you're saying to yourself, can they come up with a better idea than to put two halves together and then just spot weld and seam caulk it? So, but, um, yeah, just a terrible way to do it. Anyway, let's get back to the phones. Um, but we will do a video, not of that, but of something else coming up shortly. Let's go over to the phones. David in Iowa, some comments and questions. Yes, David, how can I help? You know what? What a pleasure it is to talk to you, Ron. Thank uh, you, sir. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, number one, before we get started here, uh, on uh, the information you give the public, and I think it's a wonderful service that you do. And uh, I tell everybody, if you want to know something, just get over Ron. Well, I appreciate and, that. Uh, I looked you up on the internet, and I I saw you, and I thought I was looking at my dad. Oh boy! <laughs> Behind the microphone. I mean, you two guys favor each other like it's unbelievable. I'll send you a picture. I mean, and if you yeah, can't do agree that. with that, yeah, so, really yeah, wrong. Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com will work. Send me an email. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, and then I like to, uh, of course, I like to talk tell you something first. Uh, I learned to drive, not drive, but a steer a car when I was three years old. I remember uh, sitting on my grandfather's lap, and he told me to steer it. And uh, he would take his hands off the wheel. And uh, I remember that to this day. And ever since I've been a car nut, okay, uh, I've had so many cars, all the old classics and everything. They've come and gone. And uh, uh, one of the, the main questions I wanted to ask you about these cars that go from, like, uh, 60 miles an hour in two seconds. Uh, shouldn't we try to try to put those on the track in like Indy 500 and let people see what they do? And maybe that'll discourage, I might discourage a few of them, of course, just very few probably, that they want to drive one of those, okay, and uh, see what they do and see how, you know, the safety measures and everything you have to take with them and, uh, you know, really do some research on this stuff first. You know, David, it's you look at the cars that they're producing today, and it's it's staggering the horsepower. It's it's how quick they are, and how the acceleration, and the handling, and the performance. And like you, I was brought up in the '60s. You know, it's muscle cars and and performance like that, and you know, just just white knuckle rides. I think I think getting kids involved in cars to really find that next generation to work on the cars 
is, I think, in large part going to be due to how we approach and handle the performance issues and, and getting kids yeah. interested. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, we're, we're kind of considered antiques, aren't we? The only yeah. we get. Yep. I mean, it, it's pretty difficult to stay up with all yep. this stuff, and that's why I admire you for your, your research and your expertise. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're helping a lot of people out there. And But, you know, with that kind of horsepower, I don't think it's going to be too far. I, they're probably working on cars that are going to fly, okay, if they can just keep it on the on their strip or whatever, you know, wherever they put it. Yeah, I'll tell you so, what, David, David, hold we, that, David, hold that thought. Let me pull over and take a pause. We'll pick this up when I come back. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anning, The Car Doctor, rolling along and talking to David in Iowa. David, you're still there, sir? Yeah, I'm here. Before the clock takes me, i got about two and a half minutes here, kiddo, so let's get some closing thoughts. What are your comments? Okay. Well, anyway, I was I, I wondering, you know, like I said, uh, uh, the technology is moving so fast, you know, uh, uh, do, you, do you have any predictions on how long it's going to take before we uh, run into that kind of a situation? I mean, as fast as it's going, do you have any idea? What do you mean? Maybe? What do you mean, flying cars and all? Oh yeah, all this uh, is it, going so quickly. You know, the, the advancements and stuff. And, uh, I I, I, th- gonna... I think we're going to be limited by our imaginations and the economic constraints. You yeah. know, I, I and I think it's a lot of a I think it's a lot bigger factor than we all realize. I look at the shop and I look at what ch- I look at the changes in the last five years. And, and, and this will sound really silly, all right, but I no longer have a drum of conventional green antifreeze in the corner that I mix because I used to mix my own coolant. I no, right. I no longer do that because every car today takes a different coolant. I used to have a roll-around drum of Dexron 3 transfluid. I no longer do that because cars today, just everybody takes a different transfluid. And it's, you know, there's a couple other things that we've gotten rid of in the shop over the past five years. And Danny and I look at each other and we start thinking about how it's changed and how fast it's changing. And it's just every year, exponentially, it increases. I don't know when flying cars are going to come about. I think there's a national security issue associated with that for obvious reasons. I think that the technology is here. The problem is the skill set, the skilled people to fix it are not. And until the school system and the education systems, not every kid can go to college. A lot of kids are going to have to go to trade school and learn how to work with their hands as well as their minds. And, yeah, you're going to have to be an electrical engineer, and you're going to have to get deeper into it. Until that all happens, I don't think we're going to see a lot of things. And uh, if we do, it's going to be forced down upon us. David, I appreciated the conversation. Until the next time, I'm Ron Annie, the car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.